And what has been the kickback or threats or abuse maybe you've gotten over the years for basically exposing this so bluntly and not hiding behind the shadows yourself, just coming openly and honestly out talking about this, no matter what the, the consequence? There has been some kickback, but I couldn't care less. Because if you want to win a war, you have to stick your head above the parapet. You have to be forthright about who the enemy is, what the enemy is up to. Otherwise, people don't really understand what on earth you're talking about. It's hard enough for people to get their head around SRA. If you start hiding the Satanist elements, it makes it even more complicated and less likely they'll understand it. If they don't understand it, they're not going to support you. They're not going to get behind you. So make it plain, tell it like it is, call it what it is, and don't, don't give a damn about what the Satanists think or what they complain about or whatever they try and do to stop you. That has always been my policy. I couldn't care less what they think. Why should I care what people who torture and abuse children think? I couldn't care less. Why should I give weight to what they think by responding to them? I couldn't care less. You know, I'm going to carry on and I'm going to keep on doing the job of exposing this regardless of what the backlash is. And that has always been my attitude. I'll just step around the backlash. I'll just step over it. Or I'll use it against the Satanists to say, look, this just shows you how much cover-up is going on. Because if this was just about a, an honest difference of opinion about whether SRA exists, not a deliberate systematic cover-up, they wouldn't be doing these things. But these people, they overreach themselves. They go way beyond just a disagreement with you, what you're saying about SRA existing. No, 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 they're going way beyond that to shut you up permanently if they can, or discourage you from ever talking about it again. They are, in my view, they're a paper tiger. They can't do as much as what people think they can do. They are not as dangerous as people think they are. I'm not saying there's no danger, there is some, but if we all rise up and speak out, then there is security in numbers. And you can do it as a voice in the desert on this subject, as I have been for several years, and still continue to do it. As I have pointed out in some other interviews, I have done it for many years and look, I'm still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I can still keep going. Uh, I'm not some kind of uh, emotional wreck or physical wrecked, wreck because of what I've been doing. Of course, God has been helping me all the way and God will continue to help me because this is the job that he gave me to do. And I will do it, come hell or high water, I will do it and I will continue doing it. And good eventually triumphs over evil. And this is a battle between good and evil. But good will triumph faster over evil if more people get behind the good. It's a basic truth of life. As long as humans have lived, 
this basic truth is good will eventually triumph over evil. Evil triumphs when good men do nothing, as Edmund Burke pointed out. And children are meant to be loved and nurtured and cherished, not simply left to the wolves to devour, as happens when we look the other way in the face of Satanist ritual abuse. And all adults have a responsibility for all children, at least in their society, if not globally. It is not just a matter for that children's parents, especially not if the parents themselves are doing SRA to their child. And for adults to look the other way and say, well, it's not my child, so I don't care. No, if you're an adult, if you're worthy of the name of being an adult, you also have a responsibility for all the children in your society, especially those who desperately need our help, need our support, need our protection. It's our responsibility. And we should all shoulder this collective responsibility with courage, with clarity, with conviction to expose SRA. Then we will be fulfilling our responsibilities as, as adults. Uh, too many adults are not shouldering that responsibility, are ignoring it. If more adults were to take on this responsibility and understand that they have this duty to protect children, at least in their society, if not globally, then they will be doing a lot more against SRA, speaking out a lot more, writing to the MPs, writing to the media, participating in letter writing campaigns, participating in demonstrations. We need to be able to get people out on the streets to demonstrate on these issues. Look at the Belgians in the Marc Dutro case, which had Satanist elements in it, uh, bearing in mind that on one of the police raids in the Marc Dutro investigations, they found a lot of Satanist paraphernalia in the house of the suspect. And Marc Dutro himself said he could name big names involved in, in all these um, abuses against children, influential people, there's definitely a Satanist element involved in that case. And when a cover-up was attempted by getting rid of the investigating judge who was actually doing his job properly, more than 300,000 Belgians took to the streets, including the Belgian firemen who were aiming their water hoses at high pressure at the government officers, saying that they wanted to wash the government <laughs> of their corruption uh, imagine that. Imagine if our firemen got involved in, in these demonstrations. Great. That yeah. would be a wonderful uh, press opportunity as well. Uh, and imagine the picture that would make in the newspapers. Great photo opportunity. Now, some of the people try to claim, especially the Satanists, that this made no difference. Of course, it made a huge difference. You have to be deaf, dumb and blind to not know that it made a huge difference because the investigating judge who was removed was reinstated after that protest. And on top of that, Marc Dutro got a life imprisonment sentence, which is far more than most Satanist abusers in the UK ever get, life imprisonment. And he's still in prison. Yes, he's tried to get out early, but he's still in prison and his efforts to get out so far have failed. 
because they know that this is really going to upset the Belgian public. And who knows, they may take to the streets in the hundreds of thousands again if they try to let him out early from prison. They got the results because they showed people power. They bothered to show up and bothering to show up for these demonstrations for justice had very clear and long lasting results. We can learn from that because we're so much larger obviously than Belgium in terms of population. We could get, they could get more than 300,000 out. We could get more than 600,000 or a million out on the streets. If we could be bothered about the protection of children from these unimaginable evils and horror that SRA inflicts on them, that the Satanists inflict on them. If we were doing peaceful demonstrations as frequently as say those groups that are rioting out in the US and have been rioting out in US recently, and if we were as committed as they were to showing up, not, not to riot, but to do peaceful demonstrations uh, on the regularity that they are doing their violent demonstrations out in the US, we will be moving very rapidly in forcing the government to deal with SRA. We, we need to show them the public wants results, wants action against SRA. The, the public is not going to put up with the evil status quo. They're not going to tolerate a few cosmetic changes here and there, which is all that we've got so far, so that business as usual can be carried on, which means abuse as usual as well of the children. But to do that, we must be willing to put in the time to write the letters, to show up for peaceful demonstrations, to force the government to face up to this issue of SRA. It's not because of lack of resources or lack of capacity that the police do not investigate SRA as much as they should. It is because of the lack of will. And the police are sensitive to their public image. They're not simply indifferent. They're a bit like the politicians. They, are, they do care what the public think about them. And so they're not going to simply ignore it if, say, thousands of demonstrators showed up outside the police headquarters and said, we want you to do something about SRA. It's got to be peaceful demonstrations. We lose the moral high ground if we start to engage in, in violence and it makes it easy for them to just paint us as troublemakers. Peaceful demonstrate, but persistent demonstrations calling for action on SRA, calling for action on specific SRA cases that have been covered up, like the Hampstead SRA case, like the Holly Gregg SRA case, and sending the message, we care enough to show up for this demonstration and we care enough to keep showing up until you do something effective on this issue. Then the message really gets through. Then people will take us a lot more seriously on our concerns about cover-ups of SRA. And all it will take to show up for these things is at the most a few days of our time. And imagine the long-term results we can get by doing this. Yeah. So acting now is going to go a long way to 
not only helping to protect children from SRA, but also helping to protect our freedoms. If we are willing to demonstrate, if we're willing to show up, if we're willing to take a few uh, hours, or in some cases, just 15, 20 minutes to write a letter to the relevant people who have influence about SRA, uh, I can help write these letters. I can help draft letters on these issues uh, if you if you need some suggestions, because we need to make it known in no uncertain terms to the people in power that we know what's going on. We know about the SRA cover-ups. We know about the corruption of the social services, the family courts, the police. We know how this is endangering children and serving children on a silver platter to the very people who have abused them. We know this and we want something to be done about it and to be done quickly and effectively on this issue. And of course, human rights campaigning by nature is repetitive and we were gonna to have to repeat it uh, over and over again. We will probably need to internationalize this issue. The UK likes to be seen, the UK government likes to be seen as a great paragon of human rights virtue and to lecture other countries on their human rights shortcomings. Well, it's time to make it a more even playing field and let other countries lecture the UK on its failure to protect children from SRA and lecture the UK on its cover-ups of child sex abuse as well and give them the information to do this. And I know that there's an international audience who are concerned about SRA in the UK. I've had a lot of emails from people from different countries about SRA. After I did my interview with people like Sean Atwood, um, a lot of people from outside the UK were writing in in support. So there's a growing international interest in this subject, um, not only about SRA in the UK, but SRA elsewhere as well. Now is the time, our time is coming now to move a lot more boldly and decisively and effectively on SRA. And no better time than now, when we've got all these increasing restrictions in line with the COVID-19 pandemic. And this has got people thinking and questioning how fragile their human rights and human freedoms are in reality. They always assumed, oh, you know, they can't just take away all our freedoms overnight, can they? Well, they, they can and they have Just them. did. <laughs> they just did. So wake up. Now, now is the time to wake up and smell the coffee because otherwise one day you'll find that you've got no more room for maneuver. And no more what, room to, to protest. There's so no many room. of us and only such a small minority of them. But yet yeah. people willingly so give over their their sovereignty and their freedom, as we've seen these past couple of months. Um, they'll complain about it, but they'll still give it over. And I mean, there's millions yeah. upon millions of us, uh, billions of us globally, compared to yeah. a small minority of, of what they are. And um, yet we're bound and, down and, to And so we easy. vastly outnumber the Satanists as well. Yeah. At present, we vastly outnumber the Satanists. One day they may out, outnumber us if we keep on sleeping on this subject. And we'll have no one to blame but ourselves for sleeping and being indifferent in the face of this growing menace and this growing 
slave master who is determined to remove step by step our freedoms and to interfere with our rights over our children, our rights of determining how we raise our children, increasingly interfered with by the state. We need to wake up to that fact and do something about it while we still have a chance to do something about it. Because one day, if we don't do something, it's going to end up with no more room to protest, no more room to object to these things, and we'll be left scratching our heads wondering, well, what happened? How did this happen? Where have all our freedoms gone? Yeah. The time is closing in quick for people to act now and not leave it to somebody else to, to worry about it. Do take action yourself. Yes, this is not just about people like myself and a few others who are speaking out on this subject, doing all the work or 90% of the work. No, this is about mobilizing an army of people who are willing to take action, but it's got to be wise action. Uh, we, they need to listen to the experiences of experienced people on this issue who have seen the mistakes that have been made, who have seen the tactics used by the Satanist abusers to sabotage the work being done against them so that they don't end up like a, a naive person who can be easily exploited and undermined by the Satanists so that they learn from the mistakes of the past and are as foolproof as one can be to Satanist infiltration uh, and not taken in by their tricks, not taken in by their intimidation, not letting the Satanists influence the quality of what they're doing. And if they're willing to learn from the mistakes of the past and the lessons of the past and take action, robust action, then yes, I think we can win. We can win in our generation anyway. We can stop the, the march and advance of the Satanist agenda. Uh, we, we still have a window of opportunity there. We still have some time, but I wouldn't exaggerate the amount of time we got left. I think the COVID-19 pandemic should be a, a sharp wake-up call to how far the agenda is moving towards pushing us to a, a one world government, uh, a globalist agenda, a Satanist agenda, giving up our freedoms, being micromanaged basically on what we can do, when we can go out, what we do when we go out, mm. uh, being tracked. I mean, come on, even today, now you go to a pub, for example, they're asking for your phone number. Exactly. They're asking for your details in case we need to track you down because somebody uh, was infected with COVID-19 and came into the pub and you were in some kind of proximity to them. We need to call you. Of course, they're going to call you so they can put you in quarantine yourself. Uh, yeah. House arrest, basically. Yeah, collector data. And you've got to ask yourself, whatever happened to the... GDPR, which was brought in by the EU, by the way, the General Data Protection Regulation that's supposed to protect our 
contact details or the Data Protection Act. Now, uh, as you can see in some pubs, all the names and numbers of the people visiting the pub are in a book. And all you need to do is take a camera, take a photo, and you've got all the contact details. Whatever happened to data protection? Yeah. All that seems to be going out the window. And something I saw in London uh, about over a month ago, which really brought home what the real agenda was. Despite all this constant bombarding of messages of stay two meters away from each other, social distancing, on and on and on, wear a mask, social distancing, repeat, wear a mask, social distancing, mm -hmm. repeat, and on and on yeah. and on. You, you are just being indoctrinated yeah. all the time. And then the so-called Black Lives Matter demonstration was held in London. And suddenly, just like that, all the regulations on social distancing, all the regulations on wearing a mask went straight out the window. In the first place, why were they being given permission to demonstrate and flout all those regulations that have been pushed down our throat over the last couple of months repeatedly? I saw them with my own eyes. Mm. They were all not socially distanced. Yeah, Most of them that. were not wearing a mask. The police who were just watching them passively were standing practically shoulder to shoulder, certainly no social distancing there, not wearing masks. Suddenly it was as if, well, we suspended all the rules on COVID-19. Somehow these people, because they're demonstrating for Black Lives Matter, are immune from COVID-19. Mm. The real reason, of course, is that this whole, um, this whole demonstrations about the so-called Black Lives Matter groups and the Antifa, so-called anti-fascist groups, the which real the agenda, <laughs> as, yeah, the, who are yeah, the real fascist yeah, groups, the real agenda is nothing whatsoever to do with fighting racism against black people. Their cause, which is a legitimate cause, protecting the black people from racism, is a legit legitimate cause, but it's not their cause, despite their name. It's, it's false advertising, their name. It's yeah. false advertising. It has been hijacked by people who are only interested in establishing the new world order, the Satanist new world order. And Such as Soros. <laughs> ex exactly. Yeah. And they're funded by Soros. Exactly. The, the key goal of Black Lives Matter and Antifa is stop Donald Trump having a second term as president. He is an obstacle, regarded as a major obstacle to the new world order. He must be removed. So all the pandemic regulations and the pandemic was, I believe, manufactured in the first place to promote the advancement of the new world order. Uh, so it had to wreck the economic success in the US that Trump had achieved. It had to improve the chances of getting Trump out of the presidency in this November's elections. And the Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots are all geared in that same direction. So the, the rules and regulations to supposedly protect the public from COVID-19 
had to be suspended to allow all these riots to take place, including uh, allowing the Black Lives Matter demonstrations to take place in London. Got to ask yourself, why when the government keeps emphasizing social distancing that they simply suddenly seem to forget about social distancing whenever Black Lives Matter wanted to have a demonstration in England. Oh, suddenly all the rules went out the window. You've got a free pass. Go ahead and demonstrate because that is it for the advancement of the New World Order agenda. Exactly. And I saw it so starkly with my own eyes when I saw them. Suddenly, London had gone back to the way it was before COVID-19. All the rules were ignored, including being ignored by the very police who were supposed to police those rules and were present at the Black Lives Matter demonstration. It was just such a, a clear example of the double standards and what the rule, the real, the real agenda is discredit Trump, get Trump out, destroy the UK economy, destroy the US economy to help advance the New World Order agenda. Show the world that the UK cannot prosper economically outside the EU. Show the world that Trump's economic success was only fragile and short-lived and now they're in terrible trouble economically uh, and a lot of the world is as well preparing the way for looking for a savior to come along and solve their economic problems solve their pandemic problems solve their climate change problems so the world will be open to this global savior whoever that person is as and when that person rises to power and that person will make people like Hitler and Joseph Stalin, by comparison, look like choir boys because he will be a thousand times more vicious, a thousand times more evil, if you can imagine such a person, and a, a thousand times more devious and successful at misleading people than even Hitler or Joseph Stalin were. You know, there's a saying that war is deception, and we we're right in the middle of that war now, and, and the Satanists are masters of deception. Mm. So we haven't asked for this war. This war has been imposed upon us and on children who are suffering right at the front line of this war uh, against Satanism and SRA. But we can make a choice and we have to make a choice whether we're going to get involved and do our bit fighting this war or just be um, ignoring the war and being totally ignorant, war, what war? And, 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 and live in a state of perpetual ignorance. Yeah. I was going to ask you to touch on a bit on um, what you think is important is uh, symbolism, because you see a lot of it worldwide and you see an awful lot of it in um, Hollywood, for example. Um, there seems to be tons of it around the place, even obvious in your face. You see the music industry, be it, um, be it on the Beatles cover. You see uh, Alistair Crowley, the iconic figure here from England. That's loads of Satanists look up to still to this day. You've got uh, Black Sabbath have a song called Mr. Crowley. You have uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, who, as far as I know, bought um, Alistair Crowley's house up in Scotland at one stage. And he said he wrote most of his best music um, in that house, um, which most people that are into Led Zeppelin probably never even knew this. Um, 
why do you believe there's all this Satanism symbolism going around? Some of it is obvious in the music industry. Some of it's very obvious in Hollywood. Do you feel it's another case of infiltration? Or some people just kind of think, oh, it looks cool. What's your kind of thoughts on that? The Satanists believe that when they display their symbols, that they will get more power from that. So we come back to the core objective of Satanists, which is to get themselves more power and more power for the devil as well. And they believe that all of them benefit from getting more power, including the devil, when they display their symbols publicly. Sometimes they will hide those symbols in plain sight, playing on public ignorance, public indifference. Sometimes they will put their symbols on their Facebook page. That's why I encourage people, if they suspect someone is a Satanist, try and look at their Facebook page, if they have one or other social media accounts. Uh, one suspected Satanist infiltrator I found uh, upside down cross under her desk. And guess where her desk was? Right inside a church that she was supposed to be working for. And she's got a little upside down cross under her desk. Wow. How interesting. So they are so desperate to get power from these symbols that are willing to risk being detected, putting it on Facebook page, putting it on um, under their office desk, putting it wherever they think they can get away with it. But often, if people like myself are around, we will see it and it will help confirm to us their real core beliefs, real beliefs are Satanism, not what they're pretending to be. Whether they're pretending to be a Christian or, or something else, they trip themselves up sometimes in their eagerness to get the power from the symbolism. And it's good to bear that in mind. They are also, um, symbols mean a lot to Satanists. Not only do they believe they can get power, they know it's a powerful way of communicating. That's postmodernism. Postmodernism puts a lot of weight on symbols. So yes, look out for the symbols. It's a way of confirming your suspicions about these people uh, if they are reckless enough to try and put those symbols out. Yeah, by all means, um, try and detect them. And also, um, you were saying you know some um, ex-Satanists that have left. How, does, how are they affected today after leaving, after being in it for so many years that at the time they were in it, obviously I presume they were leading like a double life and they eventually got out, but they've seen these heinous torture crimes to children and all sorts of sex orgies and rituals and stuff that went on and burying people alive. Um, how do those people, when you actually meet them, when they come to you and they've eventually got out, um, how was their mindset from then on? I mean, to get out alone, to get the mind to get themselves out of there must have been difficult in itself. But now when they feel they're somewhat away from it, um, how does that person kind of interact yeah. with, with society again after being through something that was so unnormal for years and years? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the, the answer to your question is, uh, obviously it's not easy for them to get out, but it is possible. And the fact that they're willing to persevere and to keep on trying to get out is a testimony to their strength of will 
and you could say desperation to get out. Uh, I think they have to really want to get out to make it successful uh, in the exit. It's not impossible to get out. It is possible. And people like them have demonstrated that if you really want it, you can get out and get out in one piece. And of course, if they have already started to have a faith in God, they should call on God to help them get out. It, that will make it so much easier because obviously God wants them out and is going to help them get out if they're willing to trust in him and call on him for his help. One interesting thing that I've noticed is that when Satanists leave Satanism behind them, they go instinctively like, um, like moths to the light. They will head instinctively to where the real light is, which is God. And so all the, the ex-Satanists I know and have met are Christians. They instinctively know that the very group that Satanists hate so much and are so opposed to is the group that they should go to. And they head for that group. Uh, because if you've been in the darkness for so long, you're desperate to go to where the real light is. Not the false light of Satanism, not the fake light that Satanism offers, but to the real light. And so we have this source of information as well. When they come out of what the Satanists get up to, uh, we don't just get it from SRA survivors. We can also get it from former Satanists. They want to expose the darkness of Satanism. One person I know who got out of Satanism even wrote a book about it to expose what she saw when she was in Satanism, how God helped her to get out. And I know that she was, for some time when she was able to work, before she got too old and uh, had too many health problems to carry on, she was going to different churches to warn them, not just about Satanism, but about the occult in general and the dangers of the occult in general. But she would also do interviews about Satanism and her experiences. And she wrote a second book, which was about how more help is needed for SRA survivors. And she tried to help the SRA survivors uh, that came her way, that came to her for assistance. Which is interesting, isn't it? That SRA survivor would go to an ex-Satanist for help but they know that the ex-Satanist knows what they've been through and knows that what they're talking about is real, not fake, because this ex-Satanist saw with her own eyes ritual sacrifice, ritual abuse taking place. I think there's also an element there where they want to try and make amends for their former lifestyle. They've seen the light, their eyes have been opened to the evil that they used to be involved in and they want to help expose it to the public and warn the public about it because the Satanists are always trying to recruit more people. More people will inevitably mean more SRA, more people in Satanism and they pass the Satanism on to the next generation down the family line 
inevitably that means more SRA. So you cannot really separate Satanism from SRA. As I said earlier, without Satanism, there would be no SRA. And the more Satanism there is, means inevitably more SRA. And they want to do something about it practically by warning people, by campaigning against it. I know of an ex-Satanist who has organized demonstrations against well, generally speaking, child sex abuse cover-ups, but that would include SRA cover-ups. What is and that's the... good news. Yeah. Uh, another ex-Satanist, she shared with me a lot of valuable information that I know because of her, uh, her fears and the way that she's been attacked in the past uh, by a certain newspaper that is quite well known for covering up SRA that she's not likely anytime soon to publicly talk about the things she shared with me. So I try to spread the message without naming her myself. And that's the one who exposed the fact that the EU is under Satanist control and domination. And how do Satanists recruit? Uh, they have various different ways of recruitment. One, of course, is you're born into it. You've got no choice. Don't try to leave. You've got to come to the Satanist rituals. They try and corrupt you from young so that you think that what the Satanists are doing is actually good. But they're doing the opposite of good. But they want you to believe that evil is good and good is evil. And if you're brought up that way, you know no better and you're more likely to, to think, oh yeah, Satanism, that's a great religion because I think what they're doing is good. Yeah, so they, they know no better. Yeah. Uh, another way is to attract young people through music groups, through giving them a false, more sanitized version of Satanism appealing to young people's need for uh, freedom or their perceived need for freedom and their openness to rebelling against authority, rebelling against the, the rules and using the devil as a kind of symbol of rebellion, just as the devil re rebelled against God, and this is becoming more used by Satanists as part of their message to the young. You want to rebel? Well, the devils, the ultimate rebel, come and join us. We'll give you an outlet for all sorts of rebellion. Rebellion against morality of society, rebellion against all Judeo-Christian values, rebellion against... Uh, anything that's perceived traditionally as good. And that attracts some young people. And by the time they find out that this is pretty dark and pretty awful, it's probably too late for them to try and leave. So that's a one of the, the other ways that they will recruit people. They're always targeting the young, children, teenagers, 
is a common target for them to go after. Another reason why they like to get jobs that put them in a place to access young people, access children. Recruitment can also be in ways of, uh, for example, going to people who obviously have a lot of need, such as homeless people or low-income people. And I know one coven that likes to focus on that a lot, at least one coven, but I think it's, it's, it's quite an extensive method used by Satanists. And it's how one of the ex-Satanists that I know was recruited in the first place because she was homeless and she was invited to uh, a rather posh house who had a lot of nice things, these women. They treated her very well. They were very posh, wealthy women, giving her a taste of the kind of lifestyle that she could only dream of as a homeless woman and showing her that if she joined them, she could get the same things. Well, that's at least the, the bait that they used to tempt her. So she did join them. She did end up with this posh middle, upper middle class Satanist and their coven. When I use the word coven, I'm, I'm describing the group. Uh, just as you use the word coven for witches, Satanists are in effect black witches. But I prefer to just call them Satanists because it's a lot clearer. Uh, and if I call them witches, then the white witches would be included. But the white witches are not strictly, strictly speaking Satanists. It's the black witches. And the coven was where she stayed for some years before she started wanting to get out and eventually managed to get out. And her comments were, she was tempted by the, the rich lifestyle of the members of the coven. She thought, uh, because she grew up in poverty as an orphan, she had nothing and thought that she could change her situation by joining the coven but she ended up poor, still as poor as she was before when she left the coven. But she also said that the Satanists lied a lot and they lied to her that she would get the, uh, the, the riches. And the devil after all is described by Jesus in the Bible as the father of lies. So, it's not always the case that the promise of wealth and power that the Satanists make will come true. In many cases, it doesn't, but it's a very tempting bait that they use to recruit people. I know of a coven that specifically targets homeless and low-income people and promises them, not necessarily great riches, but things that they would consider as big riches, 
for example, a job, a roof over their heads, an income, they often will take the bait. But once they realize what they've signed up to, it's too late for them to get out. That's, it's too dangerous for them to get out, or at least that's how they think. So they end up sometimes, sadly, being the sacrificial victim for the coven, the ritual sacrifice. I think the mentality of the coven members is better you than me. It's great that I've got you in the coven. You're going to be the ritual sacrifice, which decreases the chances that I end up eventually as the ritual sacrifice. So I Hang know that, vulnerable. yeah, yeah, I know that the coven has sacrificed several homeless or low-income people at their rituals in the past, and will continue to do so until they are exposed, brought to justice, shut down, and that they prey on these vulnerable, poor adults. And it's easy to offer these things as very tempting bait to a homeless person. And it's, it's so tragic because the homeless people have enough hardships to deal with without being preyed on by Satanists. I actually went around warning in this particular area, the homeless people, those that I could find about the Satanists, none of them gave me the, oh, Satanism doesn't exist, SRA doesn't exist, um, bull. I think because homeless people, they're a lot more in touch with the realities of life and the hardships and the harsh realities of life. So they know the depths that people can stoop to and they are not so naive as to disbelieve. And all of them accepted that this danger was out there for them. And I was warning them, they may offer you things that you really want, like jobs, uh, regular income, accommodation, unless you have good information on these people that they are trustworthy do not go with them or you're going to be ending up as their captive and eventually probably as their sacrifice. And one of the homeless people said, oh, a, a woman, a homeless woman that he knew has been missing for weeks and she may have ended up as one of their sacrifices or at least their prisoner. They usually hold the person prisoner for some months before they, they get sacrificed. So this is one clear stark example of how a coven may operate in targeting, recruiting, uh, and eventually sacrificing their recruits. They don't necessarily sacrifice all these recruits from the homeless and low-income groups, but they are quite ready to, to sacrifice several of them. I know from the past practice, but I also know that sometimes some of their members do have a desire to get out. Uh, there may be people who, who, who join in the first place on, on very false understanding of what they're getting themselves into. 
and have found it difficult to get out once they understood what they signed up to, but would like to get out if they had a chance. Uh, it's quite a, a, a dangerous coven when it comes to trying to leave without their agreement. And that is the, the situation at present. What I'm hoping will eventually happen is that they will be exposed and brought to justice. And this will free a lot of the people inside who want to get out and it will save the future victims of this coven from being recruited under false pretenses and eventually sacrificed. And the sacrifices, does it vary from coven to coven um, as in, is it something that they have to sacrifice once a month or is it a case like you're saying on Halloween or certain dates of the year? I mean, is there a certain quota, I should say, per year that universally overall from your experience that these coverings sort of have to sacrifice? Be it if it's not a human this month, maybe we'll do an animal instead another month. Or is there a, is there a difference in that, the way they view it? Uh, they have different practices from coven to coven. This particular coven that I've been talking about have a favored date for human sacrifice, which in their particular case, not necessarily the case of other covens, although there probably are some covens who would use this date as well for human sacrifice, uh, is Good Friday. They make a mockery of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins on Good Friday, they make a mockery of that by sacrificing their human victims. They love Good Friday, but they really hate Easter Sunday because that's when Jesus came back to life. So they like to believe and, and uh, trick themselves into thinking that, oh, we killed God on Good Friday. Yeah, God is dead. We killed God on Good Friday. We succeeded in that. And we're going to make fun of Jesus' sacrifice by sacrificing a human victim. Uh, that's why this coven, and probably not only this coven, but some others as well, uh, favors a human sacrifice on that date. On other dates, they may do animal sacrifices, uh, or maybe per perhaps some other dates they may do human sacrifices, but I know for sure that they do human sacrifices on Good Friday. Some covens put a lot of weight on Good Friday. One ex-Satanist even claimed that Good Friday, at least for her, is more important than, uh, for her when she was a Satanist, and her fellow Satanists apparently, was important for them more so than Halloween, which is quite a, a sort of minority view, I would say, among Satanists. Because in her words, this is when the Satanists believed that God was murdered, God was killed off. Uh, they, of course, close an eye to his resurrection three days later. That doesn't fit the narrative, so ignore that. So this is an example of how they may recruit, not only members, recruit potential victims, into their covens. Uh, I know of one Satanist who was even uh, 
uh, sorry, one person who was even invited to a Satanist ritual to attend as a kind of observer to see if you like it, have a look, and see if you want to join us. That is, that's an interesting way to do it because they're exposing themselves quite a bit security-wise by doing that. The person, in my understanding, uh, did go, but was quite horrified by what they saw and did not return, but was too afraid to reveal to, to me anyway, what they had seen, uh, what they knew about uh, that particular coven. But it does illustrate that sometimes they may stick their neck out and just, uh, because they've got an eye on a certain person, invite them to come. And of course, the wise thing to do is say, no, don't go, don't go anywhere near them, because they may take your presence there as a sign of agreement to join. They may commit a crime there that you are too afraid to blow the whistle on. They may even try and involve you in the crime, for example, human sacrifice, and force you to get involved, whether you like it or not, because obviously you're just one person there and they'll outnumber you. So you're exposing yourself in a very reckless way if you actually say yes to that kind of invitation. The Satanists are using, looking for any excuse to force you into their coven. And your very presence at their meeting may be seen as an agreement on your part to become one of them. So if you're unfortunate enough to get that invitation, do not go, do not even show any interest in what they believe in, what they do. Uh, as the saying goes, don't, don't touch them with a barge pole so that there's no room for implying that you want to join them or that you're interested in joining them. You believe in the old saying, whether it's a myth or not, um, I know Bob Dylan, I heard him saying it online as well, is that uh, you can actually sell your soul to the devil. So some people say they can get 10 years of being in a rock band or 20 years of happiness, but you've sold your soul. A lot of people believe in it. Other people say, no, it's only, it's only a myth. What's your thoughts on that? Well, this, the Satanists demand full commitment if you join their coven it is common practice to sign a covenant with the devil, promising your loyalty and obedience to the devil and to sign it in your own blood. Just shows you how demanding the devil is of one's commitment. If you follow him, it's nothing like for example, uh, people who become Christians and give their allegiance to God, at least the God of Christianity does not expect you to sign a covenant with him in blood. No, we have a thing called baptism. You are not under pressure from covenant members. Uh, you are 
unlike Christianity, you you you, uh, you face strong pressure from the the members of the coven that you join to toe the line, to turn up for meetings, and we're talking about long meetings. The average Satanist ritual is much longer than the average church meeting. In fact, one ex-Satanist in America was criticizing Christians after he joined Christianity and left Satanism for not being able to stay focused for just 90 minutes, two hours that the Christian meetings may last. Because when he was a Satanist, they would on average take a couple of hours. Uh, my understanding is the average is five hours for their rituals. I know of a coven that meets at least four times a week, if not more, every week. You're talking a huge commitment there. These people have day jobs, but they also meet at night four times a week, at least every week. Not counting the significant dates in the calendar, not counting the birth dates when they usually meet, the birth dates of their coven members. It's like uh, a rule, minimum four times a week, every week. That is commitment. I have said in the past that the commitment of these Satanist abusers to their belief system, as evil as it is, is like the commitment that you see Islamic extremists having to their beliefs. It's a very, you could say, fanatical kind of commitment. It, it, it is something that you see time and time again in history that those who are committed to evil are far more strongly committed than those who are committed to good. It's a sad fact of history, but you see it time and time again. If you believe in the good, then you have to show it in your actions and your commitment. But your commitment is usually going to be, in my observation, it's, it's often a bit half-hearted. It's not as strong as the commitment of those who do evil. So look at how committed the SS were to the Nazi cause. How committed the Islamic extremists are to their cause and they're willing to die for it. How committed the Satanists are to give up so much time to their cause and so much energy and focus. This is what we see over and over again in history. Those committed to evil are committed heart and soul to their cause. And the sort of things we complain about, sacrifices, etc., etc. Uh, for them, it, it's nothing, it's a small thing. I have seen a lot of people starting off with good intentions on working against SRA, but when they run into some difficulty or criticism, they start to get cold feet, they start to have second thoughts, 
they want to back out, they change their mind. You've got to have the kind of commitment that a person has to have, have in any war, because this is a war, both a physical and a spiritual war, that is willing to sacrifice, that is willing to put in the hours, the commitment to stick the neck out. If you want a, a, a conflict where you can fight in comfort and have a, a comfortable, easy commitment, which doesn't demand too much of you, then uh, that's not very realistic when it comes to fighting SRA. But you can put in a little commitment if you want and do something useful, like for example, writing a letter. Doesn't take very long to write a letter if uh, you have been provided with a suggested letter as a guide. And you could say, yes, well, that's, that's as far as I'm gonna go. And you're still doing something useful and it's a small commitment, but it's still something useful. Ideally, you should be willing to go further than that. Uh, as I said earlier, turn up for demonstrations, share the message on SRA with your contacts and friends, and ask them to share it on with their contacts and friends and get the message out as far as and wide as you can. It doesn't take much time or commitment to do that. And you can achieve a lot with that. And is that, if that's as far as you want to go, okay. Uh, it would help a lot if you're going further than that, but it's better than nothing. What do you find is your biggest challenge doing the work you've been doing for 27 years now? My view of the biggest challenge is probably summed up in two words. Uh, in indifference and and or disbelief. Indifference and or disbelief. Uh, a third word that could probably sum up another big obstacle is fear. People often are paralyzed in the face of issues like SRA because of fear. It's a very irrational fear. It's, it's, it's a very sort of uh, knee-jerk fear of anything that is dark. I always say, you know, if you believe in the good, you believe in in the light that comes from goodness uh, or the light that comes from God, who is the ultimate good in my view, then you should strongly believe that where the darkest exists is most in need of light. It's like if you go into a dark wood, and I have been out in the dark woods many times, you realize how important it is to have a light there. Because one moment you're in the dark woods and you're not really sure perhaps where you're going and what you're even going to step into with your next step. 
And suddenly, when you switch on a light, even if it's a small torch, it makes such a huge positive difference. Because there's so much darkness, a little light can go a long way. So it's, it's very irrational to think that, oh, because it's so dark, I don't want to be a light there. But it, it is the darkness that needs the light most. It's the darkness where we need most to bring the light into. So Jesus Christ did say in, in, in the Bible, it's recorded in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, I believe, that those who follow him should be salt and light in the world. And that a light should not hide itself, but be open, because a light that hides itself is not going to be of much use or any use. But the light is useful when it is exposed in the darkness and it will light up and change and transform the darkness. We need to be light in this darkness. We can be light in this darkness. And we ought to be light in this darkness. And there's a very wise saying that it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. We can transform the darkness by just being light in there and bringing light in there. Even if we have one small candle to offer, we will make a difference. And if many people are willing to bring their one relatively small candle into that darkness, we are going to have lots and lots of light in that darkness. We can be a light in the darkness, each of us, we should be. We should recognize that it is this darkness that needs the light most. So whenever I'm exposing SRA, whenever I'm working against SRA, I see it as bringing more light into that darkness. And of course, the ultimate light, which I believe is God, can help us to bring far more light into that darkness and to effectively transform it. Because light and darkness cannot exist side by side. The light will automatically, by its very presence, transform the darkness into light. For the sake of the victims of SRA, the current victims and the future victims of SRA, and also the past victims, we should bring our light into the darkness. We all have a light to offer if we want to see good triumph over evil, if we want to see good win this battle, we all should do our bit to bring light into that darkness. And the light will also expose the darkness. In the, in the Bible, in, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, we are told to expose the deeds of the darkness. Expose the deeds of darkness. What better way to do it than to shine a light on it? And fighting SRA starts with exposure. We have to expose the darkness of SRA. Once we shine a light on it, a lot of the battle is won. Once it becomes well known what SRA does and involves and how it damages children and vulnerable adults, a lot of the battle is won. Not the whole battle, there's still a way to fight, but 
exposure is one of our big guns to use in this battle. People underestimate their capacity to be a light in the darkness, or they don't even think about it. I think if we wake up to the fact that all of us are put in this world for a purpose that involves in our own way, in our own calling, bringing light into the darkness, we're not just going to complain about the darkness in the world. We will be thinking, what can I do on my part to be a light in this darkness? And if we don't realize our capacity to be a light in the darkness and act on it, then we're not fulfilling, I believe, our, our destiny. We're not fulfilling our calling, which would be a great shame because we only got one life to live, one life to contribute light into the darkness. It is a dark world, but that's all the more reason why we should do our bit to bring light into it. And of course, if we have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we will have the ultimate light working with us and enabling us to bring even more light into the darkness. So let's examine our part. Let's see how we can light up the darkness. Don't make excuses about oh, it's too dark, it's so dark, I don't want to go anywhere near it. Well, perhaps this is a key reason why you have been learning or made aware of this issue. And a key reason why you are here in the first place is to contribute to exposing this evil. All the people who've made a difference on dark issues, for example, William Wilberforce on slavery, had to go against the indifference of their generation on that issue. The blind spot, the big blind spot of Wil Wil William Wilberforce's generation was slavery. And he was one of the few people who could see the evil in it and that something had to be done about it and was willing to do something about it. Which at and, that time, it wouldn't have been a popular time to, to make no, a change. <laughs> no. no. So I say to people, yeah, you can and you should, you know, recognize the great contribution made by people of the past like William Wilberforce. But they were very unpopular when they spoke about it. Imagine all the economic vested interests in slavery at that time would have made William Wilberforce as popular as a rat at a dinner party mm. by talking about slavery openly. I'm sure there are a lot of people saying, as some people say today on SRA, uh, you can't talk about it. You shouldn't talk about it. It's not uh, a, a subject for conversation. Uh, it's a taboo subject. Mm. Just as people are trying to dress up, especially the Satanists are trying to dress up, SRA as so a subject you shouldn't be publicly talking about. Of course, that's rubbish, that's nonsense. And Wilberforce started by educating people about the reality of what slavery does, the damage it does. He didn't have the benefits we have now of 
films, of photographs. He had to hire somebody to go and um, draw pictures of the conditions that slaves lived in. We have a lot of benefits to get the message across. We have modern technology, which he didn't have, but he managed to get the message across with the means he had in his time, uh, such as drawings, art, and he, he had to expose the graphic reality. Yes, there'll be a lot of people as in this generation who complain, oh, this is too graphic. We can't show this, it's too graphic. You know, all the polite, yeah. so-called polite society are yeah. going to be political shocked. correctness. Yeah. Uh, not only political correctness, I sadly had some uh, Christians not liking me describing the reality of SRA. Uh, I have actually described the reality uh, in at least one church to one church congregation. And you could see their jaws drop when I did this. But afterwards, they were so supportive. And I told them, I'm sorry I have to do this, but I need you to understand the reality of SRA because I know SRA survivors who have gone to the church for help and have been disbelieved. So when you hear this horrible things that I'm describing to you now, coming from a survivor, you will know that this person is not out to trick you or deceive you. They're just telling you what actually happened to them. And they understood and they accepted it. They were mature enough to understand that. Sadly, there are some Christians who are not of that level of maturity to accept and understand the truth. So they shut down when you talk about the reality of SRA. And I'm sure that Wilberforce had that problem with some people, whether they were Christians or not, when he talked about the reality of slavery and the graphic awfulness involved in slavery, just as when I exposed the graphic awfulness, as I did in this interview, involved in SRA. What would be one of the worst cases you've come across as far as SRA um, goes in your previous 27 years? It's hard to it's hard to say that one is, is more terrible than another because I think from the victim's point of view, in all these cases, they will tell you it's just the most awful thing. It was just the most horrific thing. Sometimes just when you think, oh, right, this must be... For, an, for a, a horrific subject, touching the depths of horror, then another case comes along that seems to go even further down into the depths. Uh, as I said earlier, the problem is that people have ways of engaging in even more awful things than their predecessors have. And so you may think, oh, well, we lived in a more uh, enlightened society now. Well, that's rubbish. We have misused our technology, our sophistication, our education, in many cases, to go even 
further into the depths of depravity than previous generations have. And we can do more damage because of, of the technology that we have. So for example, uh, using the technology to record SRA on film, many covens do that. They will film the abuse they do. I think that at least some of this is being sold as pornography. Uh, for profit reasons, but they also want a record of what they do. Uh, the, the big question is, where do they put it? So far, it hasn't been found by people who they are hiding it from, but it's out there. Uh, they like to film their own depravity and keep a record of it on film. And I suspect that they do share it with other Satanist abusers and they probably try and make a profit from it as, as pornography when they can. The, 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 the terrible things they do to their victims, uh, I touched on some of them just now. Uh, it's not I don't think it's possible to really make a comparison. Well, this is more, this is much more worse than the other. Plus, you've got to look at it from the victim's point of view that all of them are suffering terribly and they go through these things. So you can't really compare a child being electrocuted with a child being drowned. I mean, they're both being deeply traumatized by it. Uh, or a child being hung, uh, suspended from a hook uh, or from a rope or a child being raped. All these things happen at various Satanist rituals or a child being burned alive I know of at least one case where a child was burned alive, four-year-old child. The creativity, so to speak, of the people who inflict these evil deeds, the Satanist abusers who come up with these things and inflict them, seems to know no bounds and you could probably say with a lot of accuracy, come from the devil himself. The devil is not some lovable, misunderstood rebel. He touches the depths of depravity and per perversity. Uh, he is probably rightly described as the biggest pervert in the world and the oldest pervert in the world just when you think the limits of perversion have been reached by certain Satanist groups, the boundaries will be pushed even further. And they're always pushing the boundaries of their agenda. And just as a heads up, a warning, what is down the road for us, what they would like to see mainstreamed in our society, we need to be aware that this will include the legalizing of 
pedophilia, the legalizing of sex relations between adults and boys and girls. This has already been put on the agenda by some people. There has been, uh, I know of at least one in the UK anyway, one conference that suggests uh, discuss this seriously at, at, at an, an academic level. And guess who organized the conference, gave the platform for academics from elsewhere in the UK to come and say, well, sex relations between adults and children are acceptable, actually, and should be natural, uh, should be accepted as natural. It was organized by Cambridge University wow. a couple of years ago. And the academics who said this did not necessarily come from Cambridge University, came from other UK universities. But see how the academics are starting at least to try and make the case that this is acceptable, this is normal. Uh, we should just see it as a kind of normal sexual orientation. Welcome to the new normal. First, the new normal was LGBT. Now the new normal extends to, guess what, pedophilia. So some people call it LGBTP. And I know someone who got a, a, an email from one of these pro-pedophilia campaigners, which said LGBTP, and for P they, they wrote, and this was also mentioned at the conference, I believe, that was organized by Cambridge, because love has no age limits. What a misleading and manipulative slogan. But they're going to be using some of the tactics used by the LGBT agenda. Oh, well, as long as they love each other. Oh, well, as long as this 50-year-old man loves this five-year-old girl, it's love. Who are we to stand in front of the man having sex with the child? That's where we're headed now. And of course, the Satanists are backing it to the hilt. Uh, the leader of the Satanic Temple in the United States publicly said last year that the LGBT agenda is only one front in the Satanic revolution. That's very interesting. Mm. First, it's the first time I've heard the phrase Satanic revolution used, not by an uh, outsider, but by a Satanist himself, a Satanist leader. One front he has admitted is the LGBT agenda. What are the other fronts? That begs the question what the other fronts are. And I would say the way things are going, the other front is going to include definitely uh, legitimization and legalization of pedophilia, legalization of infanticide. There are some academics seriously talking now about infanticide being acceptable and should be acceptable. Legalization of assisted suicide comes back to what I said earlier about the ex-Satanists saying that Satanists love death and they love to spread death. What better way than assisted suicide? Put pressure on people, oh, you're a burden, you should kill yourself and get them to feel guilty enough to consent to assisted suicide. Lots of vulnerable people, and as I said earlier, Satanists love to target vulnerable adults, are going to be targeted under this 
So it's expanding the legalization of killing, basically, uh, whether it's under the guise of euthanasia or assisted suicide. It's also a form of eugenics. It's a form of elitism, elitism, depopulation. Your life is deemed by the elite, the powers that be, not to be worth living. So therefore, you should do the so-called decent thing and kill yourself and have yourself killed. Uh, suicide is actually a, a weapon used by Satanists against their opponents. They try to get them to commit suicide. And sometimes they put, uh, in fact, in many occasions, they may put suicide triggers in the mind control of their victims. So that if their victims uh, are out of the Satanist coven and are seemingly free from the Satanist coven, despite their, their being apart from the coven, they still have certain suicide triggers embedded in them in some cases, in the, in the mind control they were subjected to. And if they are triggered, then they, they might commit suicide, which for the, for the Satanists is very convenient. Get rid of the witness, get rid of the potential whistleblower, get rid of the person who left our coven and is apparently free from our coven. And sometimes Satanists may infiltrate the therapy profession uh, so that they are in a position, if they are dealing with an SRA survivor, to try and trigger those suicide triggers that have been put into that survivor through mind control techniques. I'm not saying that every survivor has suicide triggers, but many do. And the SRA, the Satanist infiltrators posing as therapists will, will know that and, and will try and trigger it in some cases because what better way to silence a potential whistleblower than to just have them kill themselves? Exactly. And what do you say to uh, the victims that might be listening and watching in right now? I would say if you're a victim and you are needing help, whether with therapy or with trying to get justice against your abusers or other forms of practical help, you can contact me and we can discuss it. And although I'm not a therapist, I could try and help you get a, a good therapist, uh, point you in the direction of a good therapist or point you in, in the direction of an organization uh, that can help lead you to a good therapist. If you need help trying to get justice, I can do the same, either assist you in a campaign for justice or assist you in investigating your case or point you to an organization that can help you with that kind of assistance. Uh, if you are, for example, not in the UK, but perhaps in the USA, I can point you towards people there that can help you with this sort of thing. So 
that's what I do in practice. If I can't give the help directly, then I might know someone I can refer them to. But I need you to summarize as clearly as you can your story. It helps if you give it in a chronological order. Because if, if I'm confused about the facts of your story, it's hard to understand your needs and, and, and communicate your needs if I'm referring you to another group or another person. To communicate your needs to them, I need to have a clear understanding of your story. And you're obviously the best person as the victim to, to summarize it in a couple of paragraphs, what your story is, what your needs are, and, and to do it in a chronological order. So that's one way I can help if, if you're in need. Uh, there is a limit to how much I'm able to help, but what I normally do is that if I can't help, I try and find someone who I trust will be in a good position to help, help you. And of course, it starts off with you telling me your story uh, in, in as clear a way as you can. You don't have to go into all the, the little details, just a summary of it and email it to me. It's always so much easier if I have it in writing rather than over the phone because it's going to be a very expensive long phone call for me to take notes of everything you're saying over the phone. It's so much easier. You just write it down and send it and take your time writing it. You don't have to send me that, that uh, account immediately or in the next week or so, uh, as long as you eventually send it to me. Uh, it just depends on you how urgently you need help. I think it's so important to get law enforcement against these abusers. That's why I'm always willing to do what I can to help SRA survivors try and find um, justice to get the police to investigate their case, to get a, a prosecution against their abusers. It's usually, unfortunately, a long process for many SRA survivors in the UK anyway, because as we discussed earlier, the police are a lot of the time not doing their job on SRA. And where can uh, people actually find you and actually support you as well? I would suggest email me. Uh, I'll give you my email address to... Yeah, I'll leave the links in the description below. Uh, and, and the link to my website as well. But the best, most direct way to contact me is just email me at my email address. So Wilfred, any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts would be, don't give up the fight on SRA, or if you're a victim fighting for justice in your case, don't give up the fight uh, or if you're fighting to get healing, don't give up that fight either. You, you never really fail until you give up. Keep going. You never fail until you give up. Second thing, 
children are always worth fighting for. Children are always worth fighting for. Keep fighting for the children to protect them from SRA and also to protect the vulnerable adults. All this is well worth fighting for and to keep going. Don't give the Satanists the pleasure of seeing you give up. Uh, even if you have to take baby steps sometimes, at least you're taking baby steps in the right direction. Just keep going bit by bit, day by day. And eventually you'll get there. Fighting SRA is like uh, ultra marathon. So you've got to pace yourself. It's a long journey. But eventually, if you just keep going, even if you're walking there, you will get to the finish line. I think things are getting better in terms of public exposure of SRA. I think things are getting better in terms of public belief in SRA's existence. But we need to keep pushing at that open door so that the progress is even more rapid and going faster because for the sake of the victims, we need to try and get there faster to the finish line of getting action against SRA. And there's always something you can do. Don't think, oh, there's nothing I can do. No, that's rubbish. That's giving up before you even started. It's what the Satanists want you to believe is that you can't do anything. Of course you can do something. Everybody can do something. And I can advise you if necessary on what you can do. Although I have already described a lot of what can be done in the course of our interview. And you can just watch and rewatch that section of the interview to, to understand better what action you can take on SRA. Wilfred, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time today. It's been incredible and such a, a worthy cause and such a, such a topic people really, really need to hear and expose. So thank you again. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been watching Mind Wars, Be the Resistance, and I'll see you on the inside.